Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Welcome to Elkshade Podcast with me, Dana Fitness Man, thanking you for tuning in. Got a really good episode with a phenomenal bow hunter, Dan Picard of Eastman's. This guy is legit as they come. Uh, super humble, but really, honestly, one of the guys I think that's just super consistent, gets it done, works hard, provides awesome content. We'll talk about where his content can be found, and we'll get into all that good stuff. So this is a good episode uh, right now, we're looking at, you know, some of us are still elk hunting, you know, October, mid-October, and then some rifle guys are getting ready to go, if not already started, and then there's some folks that are looking at late season elk as well. Just depends on where you live, what tags you have, but a lot of you are done, quite honestly. A lot of you, September's come and it's gone, and here you are, and you're in a position to where you can start the process all over. Maybe you didn't have the season that you envisioned. Well, you need to write down what it is that you need to work on. What was the most glaring, obvious weaknesses? Was it your calling? Was it your fitness? Was it your lack of scouting? Was it your lack of knowledge of the area? Was it hunting pressure and you didn't? What did you do wrong? Did you stay in a spot too long? Did you, did you not get 
far enough, deep enough? Did you go too deep? I mean, you got to look at it and start thinking about 2021 because you're going to get busy. Life is busy. There's lots of distractions out there and separation is in the preparation. So on this podcast today, we talk about Eastman's Tag Hub. That's new. So if you're a go hunt person, you might consider the Tag Hub. It's about $50 cheaper a year. Uh, I haven't gone through it yet, but I am a subscriber. So I'm going to go through it and then see if it's something that I need to still keep my go hunt or maybe have both or eliminate the go hunt and go with the tag hub it just depends on how it how it goes but from what i've logged on already and seen uh, i'm going to be saving 50 bucks it looks like so this podcast is brought to you by vortex optics thank you guys for your support we are pinning the elk shape camps for 2021 those will be brought to you by vortex as well we're going to seminole texas we're looking at phoenix arizona Possibly Boise, Idaho, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. That one's inked. Uh, Reno, Nevada, Salt Lake City, Utah, and Denver, Colorado. So seven camps on the books, only one on the East Coast. But, hey, for you guys that want to get close, come to the Colorado one or come to the Salt Lake one. Those are great airports, and they will be life-changing. What we do at those camps is we just basically find out what you suck at.com and figure out how to mitigate that. I'd say a lot of people have – Things they need to work on in their archery setups, their archery shot execution, uh, their elk calling with the diaphragm read, uh, knowing the vocalizations and how to make all of them, when to make them, uh, their hunt plans, their strategies, e-scouting, their fitness, their nutrition. We cover it all. And I'm super proud of it. This will be year three. And I hope we continue to do it as long as there's elk hunters out there that are hungry and want to advance through the learning curve. This is the camp for you. So thank you to Kenetrek Boots for also being a partner since 2010. I rock the mountain guides. Utilized base map this year for all my offline and had a great experience. I think it's some of the best mapping software out there. Switched to Kafaru and running all several of their packs. The cutthroat was super clutch. The hoodlum is probably my favorite. Uh, I'm going to make a whole YouTube video on all those packs and how they differ between XO. And it's probably already out at the time of this recording. So look that up on uh, YouTube Elk Shape. That's something we put a lot of energy into. So if you've never been to our YouTube channel, shame on you. Just joking. Uh, I know you're busy. But if you're looking for some good quality archery, fitness, elk hunting, gear, content that's our elk shape youtube channel we usually drop two videos a week mondays and thursdays so matthews archery guys thank you so much really utilizing the vxr 28 which you're going to find out that same as dan picard that's what he uses it's just a you know it's a shorter axle to axle bow but quite honestly i shoot it better than any bow i've ever had so favorite bow using the easton axis 340 spine easton if you do want to sponsor elk shape feel free to reach out haha grim reaper using the micro Hades three blade that flies the best for me that chisel tip crush through elk love that head uh, Phelps game calls again they're going to be the sponsor in 2021 and have supply all our campers with bugle tubes and diaphragm calls and I love Jason Phelps back to e-bikes they sponsored the 2020 they gave away a mule bike to one lucky elk shaped camper so thank you guys I use the e-bike a ton of my elk hunts this year going to be using it a ton for mule deer and whitetail coming up wilderness athlete discount code elk shape 30 save 30 percent on your first purchase from wilderness athlete check out the hydrate recover energy and focus so thank you wilderness athlete for all your support 
tight spot and black gold they definitely helped out the oak shape camps in 2020 we're gonna try to get them to help out again same with lakewood products they make awesome bow cases check out the discount code elk shape 2020 uh while supplies last i think that code lasts till the end of the year last chance archery always tinkering on new bows got the new matthews bow in hand can't talk about it yet but will soon northwest retention systems where i keep my glocks and my 44 mags on my chest i use the scout if you need some sort of retention system for your handgun while elk hunting mine is underneath the binos check out northwest retention custom made use the discount code elk shape save on shipping and handling without further ado let's get to dan picard let's talk all things elk hunting all things filming elk hunts uh great episode appreciate you guys coming on listening we'll catch you at the end of the show guys welcome to the elk shape podcast with me dan the fitness man today talking to another dan dan the man from wyoming and uh we're gonna go over elk hunting and um who's we'll see where it goes so dan picard what's going on buddy hey another beautiful day in paradise i'm actually gonna go do some scouting and put up some trail cams right after uh this conversation so living the dream and getting ready for elk season well good uh we'll just see where this thing goes man and try to keep it at an hour so you can get to your scouting so you said it uh what trail cams are you using these days um i have a couple different ones i i like the stealth cams and uh, I like to just run HD video on all those. I really don't do too m- much for photos. And then I'm trying some spy point ones this year as well that um, brand new and the ones that, you know, send photos and stuff to your phone over cell phone service. So see how those work. I haven't tried them yet. Oh, I'm very curious on how those are going to work out. Um, so you say you run 4K. Give us some pro tips on trail cams as far as do you customize how long the video is, how long the delay based on the setup, uh, dark timber, wallows, trails, uh, how far from, like how do you keep them from getting stolen? And I'm asking that for myself since I am literally hold the world record for the most stolen trail cameras. <laughs> oh man, I haven't had one stolen yet. I guess number one there is uh, put them up and grizzly country with as many grizzlies as possible and there'll be less people but i've had bears tear them off the trees too so yeah (laughs) it can go either way but uh no the 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 biggest thing that i like is to never point my trail camera straight east or straight west where i'm going to get sun just blasted right into the lens yeah um that's a killer for good photos uh with my videos i like 10 second videos and i'll do uh, like a, a 10 second delay between each video, depending on the location. If I'm on a trail, uh, I'll do a, a short delay, five, maybe 10 seconds. Um, actually, probably five seconds on trails, just getting passing elk. And then like on a wallow or something or, um, you know, a, a, you know any anything where a, an elk is going to spend lo- a lot more time, I guess a water hole would be the big thing. Then I'll do uh, some longer delays. Uh, I tried to stay off water holes in like like moo cow country or grazing permits because uh, you'll just get a trail cam full of of cows, moo cows. So I, I try to stay off water if I can there, if cows are around. And uh, yeah, I like to check them every two weeks and make sure everything's good and move them if I need to. And if not, just let them keep rolling. So uh, most of these spots that I go into are within an hour hike or... Uh, an hour dirt bike ride. So that those are my tricks. 
Okay, so you're just keeping this conversation easy. Dirt bikes. I'm a huge fan of hunting elk off a dirt bike. I'm a huge fan of air-cooled, older four-strokes. Used to be a KTM kind of guy and go riding and single track and wear all the gear. I'm over that. I'm, I use a dirt bike as my horse. What dirt bike do you use? The old steel horse. Uh, yeah. I, I've never told anybody which dirt bike I use because I don't want to be seen out there. But <laughs> I, I'm a Honda guy, Dan. I, I love Hondas. They're proven four-stroke. Um, you, you can't break them, it seems like. Uh, I, don't, I don't like too big uh, of a bike. And obviously, like a 150 is a little small. So I'm right there at the, the 230. I love my electric start for side hills and, and uphills. Oh, yeah. If you don't have electric start and you're elk hunting and your bow is on your back... You're in trouble. Um, my dad had a, a 250 XR. No, he had a 400 XR without electric start. Uh, that was laughable in steep elk country. And he actually has a 230 electric start. Uh, he redid the whole setup, the whole forks, the shocks. He's basically did like a, a lift kit of sorts on his dirt bike. And then I have a Oh, a TTR 250, and uh, that's my favorite bike. Although I shouldn't say that because I'm trying to buy another one to have two just in case one goes out or have a parts bike. Dude, can't find them. In fact, I was just scouting in Idaho last week, and this chick, I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, and this chick rolls into this one-horse town gas station, and I'm like, is that a TTR 250? And she's like, Yeah. And I'm like, what year? She's like, oh, four. I said, I'll, I'll buy it right now and put it in my truck. What do you want for it? And she's like, oh, I just got it. And anyways, I tried to buy it off this girl at a one-horse town and uh, didn't work out. But I'm on the hunt. And if I say it on the podcast, someone's got one. Somebody knows one, so I'm plugging it. I Dan is a buyer of TTR 250s. Holler at your boy. <laughs> <laughs> No, same thing with the 230. I mean, I don't watch too close, but my camera guy does. And, and he's like, yeah, I haven't seen a CRF 230 uh, for sale for over a year. So, geez, mm. yeah, they're an endangered species, I guess. <laughs> oh, man. But, you know, what are some uh, words of wisdom, perhaps caution for people that are like, oh, well, Dan and Dan use dirt bikes to hunt elk. I'm going to do the same. Go ahead and like, let's... Let's do our due diligence here and give them a word of caution. Um, the biggest thing is the dangers that uh, surround the usage of them, especially with uh, a pack on or even more so packing meat. Uh, you have to have that super strong core. Uh, you know, you might think that riding a dirt bike, you don't need to be physically fit, but I feel like it's the opposite. You need to be in even better shape uh, so you don't get hurt and so you can just handle it in the mountains man that's such good advice i can tell you that uh you don't want to crash with a bow on your back and there is no real great way that i've found to carry a bow in a bow case on a dirt bike so i would say have a backup bow in case you take a spill bust a cam i've seen my dad knock his string off the cam i don't know how but just we rolled up to an elk spot parked the dirt bikes and he was like all right, which way you want to go? And I was like, well, I think you're caller today. And he's like, why is that? And I was like, well, look at your bow. And it's just dangling, you know. So getting a backup bow in general is a great idea, uh, which has, I guess we're going to go there next. So you 
the first video I ever saw that you made, and I don't know how many millions of views this thing has, but you shot a bow in a pool underwater. How the hell did you think of that? You know, when I first started for Eastman's, I kind of, I was, I was just thinking on things that, you know, videos that we could make to gain subscribers or to, you know, just have some fun, fun videos out there, have a little variety to the channel was kind of the idea. And, uh, I've kind of always wondered it just being an archery guy and my life revolving around bows and bow hunting. I was like, I wonder what these things do underwater. And, uh, you know, I, I found a, a pool in Cody, Wyoming here. Uh, he's a doctor here. And some miraculous reason, he let us use his <laughs> pool to shoot shoot our bow underwater. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Guy, I, I couldn't believe it, honestly. I thought the guy was crazy. The funny thing is, I never met the guy. And it was a coworker. It was one of his closer family friends. And he's like, oh, yeah, go ahead, do it. So, yeah, pretty crazy. For guys that haven't seen the vote, like it's exactly what we we just described. Like he literally is completely submerged underwater, probably with GoPros or something, filming himself pull back and shoot a bow completely underwater. So, how many views does that video have? Uh, it's over three million now. Yeah, see, guys, that's viral. That's pretty legit, and that's that was a great way to kind of get the YouTube channel growing for Eastman's. And that's kind of like one of your main gigs at Eastman's. I'd like to learn more about all the things you do at Eastman's. So, but let's first kind of dive into the off grid series, or I'm sorry, beyond the grid series, which is honestly, I always look forward to those dropping. Um, they drop few and far between in my opinion, but you can always count on a really pretty much a high quality experience and don't watch those on your phone. I'm plugging you, man. Like Go to your smart TV, get the Bose speakers on, and watch what I would say is arguably some of the best stuff out there for out west hunting. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. We put a lot of effort into it. I kind of head it up and uh, get all the hunts rounded up. Just depends on the year on who draws what. But uh, 99% of them are uh, just public land hunts, just like you or me would go hunt. And, uh, you know, general tag sometimes depends on the situation and how uh, spectacular the footage is uh, for lack of better terms. And, uh, yeah, we just hunt hard and, and video. And the cool thing with, uh, YouTube or just the digital series is we don't have really the parameters, uh, that we do for the outdoor channel. So we can kind of just make what we want, um, which is really fun and edit it how we want. And each episode's edited a little bit differently, but we want to keep it raw and gritty and real and, uh, you know, the stuff that real hunters appreciate. Yeah, we all do appreciate that public land stuff, especially me. So I would say keep up, keep it up, man, because like it's, it's really like a breath of fresh air to see like pretty much like realistic type stuff that's authentic. Guys are really getting after it. Uh, the one that burns in my mind the most is what was it? Yeah. Okay. This is, I didn't, this is not too long ago, Dan, but you're going to be impressed that I, I noticed this, I think. So you were grinding out a hunt. This is on your series. And this bull basically is, I don't know how many yards away, but you literally knew you were going to shoot him. And you were trying to get to the, like the, basically like the, the topography that would allow you a shot, not a ledge, not a cliff, but just like a big rise. And you were like, I need to get to the, that 
little lick ledge so I can get my shot off. And what you were doing is you ranged him and then you're looking down at your bow, but you're cow calling with the diaphragm reading your mouth, not even looking at the bull. You know that you have to slide your sight, but you also know that you have to stop this bull. And you did both at the same time, which I thought was really impressive. Take us through if you know what I'm talking about. And you made a killer shot. Yep. No, absolutely. I remember that day vividly. And it was a nine day hunt on public land in Wyoming on a general tag. And uh, it was the last day that we were able to hunt. And there was like a pretty solid five point herd bull uh, that I was working in on. And there were a couple uh, smaller satellite bulls. One was a small six and the other one was a five. And that's what it, it was right there is, is I just worked in close and those bulls, I, I sat on them for a while while they were on a little edge and, and I just didn't want to call because you could tell by their behavior with that herd bull around, they were keeping their distance. And, and could I have cow called them in? Yeah, probably, maybe, I, you know, you, you don't know, but I just was able to slip in on them and they, they got into a position where I could get on them easily down in a draw. And so I know they were down in this gully. And so I worked up over and you know, there's a little, always a little luck involved, but as I'm kind of cresting up the hill, I could hear them down there. And so I just tiptoed up to the crest of the hill and they were just kind of both feeding away. Well, the six point was, and I knew they're in range. If I remember right, it was 51 yards, 53 yards maybe, but I, I could tell, you know, looking at it. And as you know, just bow hunting, it's all anticipation, right? You, you, you're trying to see what's going to happen before it happens. And and that's all it was, was just uh, calling. I, I knew he was going to be in a good spot. He was quartering away. He was walking slightly quartering away. So I knew I was going to be good. I knew that bull was going to stop if I cow called him. And I, I didn't want him to get farther away from me, of course, or behind that tree. Um, I'm a, a firm believer, uh, well, which I know you'll agree, is if you get close to a bull, you better watch for the first little opportunity that you have to get him killed because there's just too many things out of your out of your control that may be the difference between punching your tag and not if you're fiddle farting around or if you're you're waiting too long and so yep little cow call hook my release all at the same time and i think he snapped his head around while i was drawing my bow i, I drew my bow you know, in plain sight while he was looking at me, but it all happened quick and he didn't really know what was going on and settled the old 50 and yeah, X-ringed him. Yeah, you did. It was really cool. And I just remember seeing that for the first time going, oh man, this guy's been here before in this situation. I mean, pretty cool to see somebody just execute, know that this was my window. You basically made an opportunity that I think a lot of new elk hunters, they would have been like oh no the elk sees me i can't draw my bow or they would have never thought to make that early vocalization with their diaphragm read in their mouth some rookie elk hunters don't even know to always have a diaphragm read in your mouth at all times and it was just really cool to see that you you knew that shot angle was actually in my opinion maybe even better than broadside because i believe it was slightly quartering away i mean that just ups your odds and yeah, that was cool. So General Bulls, Wyoming, we're going to talk about that. I want to go back to the Beyond the Grid because uh, I want to know who is like writing like the scenes and the storytelling behind like who is kind of like masterminding 
Like how this is going to go, how this is going to get filmed. How are we going to tell the story? When do we actually know we have a story to tell? Who does the rough edits? Who does the fancy and like end of the, you know, the, the fancy production edits at the end, the voiceovers, like take us through that process so people can appreciate how much darn work goes into that production. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, some of the hunts, we know that are going to be a beyond the grid episode because they're not TV worthy uh, because of the content. And like we, we do a prairie dog hunt every year, uh, which is just kind of a, you know, a different type of content, but we do that for a different reason we can talk about later uh, because of searchability. But um, every beyond the grid, well, I wouldn't say every, but the majority that we do have a purpose, like they're going to be a beyond the grid because of the nature of the content. How searchable are they going to be? How much interest are they going to be? Uh, for example, um, I had an opportunity to go to Texas to bow hunt Oddad, and I, I figured that type of content wouldn't be that searchable on YouTube. Um, it, it, it's not very like a, it's not a popular species that just anybody can do. And so, um, you know, you probably figured I wasn't going to get a ton of views that way, but you know, it's a free hunt, just go hunt some odd at and have fun with it. And so, um, we did one of those. And so, yeah, it just kind of, now we're, we're trying to focus on deer and elk, uh, because anybody can do it. They're the most popular, of course. And so, uh, if, if it's a deer elk hunt, you can probably bet we're going to be shooting for beyond the grid. And, and, you know, we don't usually post or do hunts, obviously that are unsuccessful hunts. Uh, sometimes it happens, but, um, you know, everything is, is kind of planned out as, as much as we can. And not, like you said, not every hunt has a great story. And so sometimes they're, less exciting than others, but that's just the nature of hunting. And every once in a while, like you'll see with this beyond the grid that we released two days ago, uh, took a couple horses in the backcountry and killed a giant bull in a day of hunting. And it was just epic. And you, you can't plan for that. You can't, um, you know, expect great things to happen on every single hunt, but the ones that do obviously are going to be on beyond the grid and, and, uh, we're going to put them out there for everybody to see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have a preferred cameraman or have you ever fired somebody or at least had a very candid conversation with the cameraman, camera person saying, you know, hey, here's the deal. You're messing up my hunt or you're not keeping up or you're being too loud or like, do you do a good job in the beginning before you even step foot, kind of letting them know like that is such an important relationship, not trying to sound like a jerk like uh, but you know man can that make all the difference in the world oh a hundred percent a hundred percent you can't the thing with the camera guys is they have to be at least to your level or a better hunter than you are but usually that doesn't happen because if a camera guy is that into hunting they're going to be hunting themselves they don't want to be filming they want to be hunting and so we you know go through a I don't know, a vetting process or recommendations through people uh, of guys that have camera experience and that are uh, good hunters. Maybe they, they hunt for their own, their themselves during rifle or something. They have the experience, uh, but they don't get out and bow hunt. Um, those are the guys that I like. I'm lucky too. Uh, I have a 
a buddy that I grew up with. Uh, I went to school with him ever since we were in the fifth grade. And he's been following me around with a camera since we were sophomores in high school. And, and I'm lucky in the regard that he doesn't really care to hunt that much. I mean, he will if he has the opportunity, but he has just as much or more fun filming me uh, because he, he like laughs his butt off. You know, I try to keep it lighthearted and entertaining and and he it's entertainment for him. And, you know, he, he gets a kick out of it. And so we've just kind of always been doing it. But, you know, when you're spending that much time with somebody, I don't care if it's your best friend or your spouse or or whatever, you're going to butt heads at some point and, you know, have a coming to Jesus meeting or whatever. But, you know, we've had some of those uh, situations. But um, sometimes I wonder if I ask too much out of those guys. I mean, when we're going and hiking so hard and hunting for so many days and, and uh, you know, you get tired and your mental awareness and your mental sharpness gets worn down and it's hard to stay sharp uh, for, you know, 60 days of hunting. Um, so it's, it's very difficult and it's kind of, you know, the, the guys that we use, it's all word of mouth or somebody we know. Um, and probably the biggest thing for me is the guys I use for, for my hunts. It's, you know, it might sound kind of jerkish, but I, uh, I don't use anybody that I could possibly train that they're going to come in and hunt behind me, you know, or, or if, if you're hunting with me or you, you're, you hunt as much as we do, you're going to so many different spots and learning so much country that I don't want to educate somebody uh, into, you know, the spots that I hunt, or if I see a 200 inch deer, I don't want them in there next year trying to hunt, you know, find them. If Dude, that makes sense. I think it makes sense a lot, honestly. <laughs> like, uh, you're really, it's a, it's a pretty sacred trust relationship you have to have, or you will be burned like I have in the past. And I think everybody's got a burn story and yep. never be that guy that, that hunts someone else's spot that they showed you, uh, I've gone to great lengths. I had a couple buddies that were going to help me pack out a bull, and I was like literally refusing. I'm like, I, I don't want you to know the spot. So I will spend three days getting this bull out. And they're like, dude, come on. And I was like, all right, well, bust out a, bust out a Bible. I'll make you literally swear on a Bible. And I did that. And uh, maybe people think that's just extreme, but I also filmed it. So it's on video. And it's hands are t a hand is touching the Bible because I'm psycho about spots because, dude, it, it's so finite the amount of days in the mountains and I've worked so hard to find these spots, and uh, you just can't. Yeah, I've been burned in the past, so I get it. I get it. I want to talk about people want to have YouTube success, uh, myself included. We've we've more than doubled our YouTube channel this year just by literally making it a priority for better quality. I think it starts with audio. Uh, what are your best practices for getting good audio in the field, which is something you can't really go fabricate once the hunt is over? Right. No, absolutely. Um, I roll 90% of the time with shotgun audio. So I have a, a good shotgun microphone. And when I'm talking, 
I, I always try to turn and, and face the camera because as you know, shotgun audio is directional. And so if I'm facing away from you 10 yards away and whispering or even just normal talking, you're not going to be able to hear me. And so um, where I can and when I can, I'll use a lav mic, you know, a cordless mic uh, for the, the best audio. But if you have a good quality shotgun type audio and, and you're like bow hunting so you're always like right next to your camera guy um i found that works pretty good for sure do you have any tips on camera selection maybe kind of a lower end budget let's say maybe a thousand to maybe two thousand dollars to get not only a body but a lens or an actual camcorder um, maybe go through a couple different options. Um, I film everything on, uh, which is already obsolete, but a Sony a seven I only have two lenses. They're both really, really expensive lenses and they're a total pain to pack around. My pack is always heavy, but I've come to peace with that. I've come to terms with, I'm going to have a heavy pack to capture. What do you, what do you think, man? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. Um, it, it depends on the nature of the hunt. Uh, if you have the luxury to have a bunch of different cameras, uh, you know, if you're sitting on, you know, a water hole or something for antelope, then, you know, like a, a Sony a seven great choice. Uh, it's a more of a controlled environment. Uh, you, you don't have to, you know, you will probably have more time to change lenses and it's just more controlled on the other end of the spectrum. If you're running and gunning after mule deer or elk, I like uh, camcorders, and we, that's what we mostly run with here. Um, I'm a big Canon guy. Um, man, over the years of having 4K cameras, uh, Panasonics, um, they're good, but I've had them eat some memory cards, so I try to stay away from Panasonic. Sorry, Panasonic. But uh, Canons uh, seems like their software uh, in their cameras are always good. There's never glitches or issues like that. I've never had a card get eaten. Um, we filmed a lot on the Canon XA20, which is mm -hmm. a, a lower uh, budget price point, uh, 1080p camera. It's not a 4K camera. Uh, now I run with the XF400, which is a 4K camera. Uh, it shoots 60 frames. And, you know, you have a 12 power zoom on those cameras, so they'll pretty much do... Uh, anything that you ask it to do it on, on a bow hunt, especially, and if I need to film farther away, I'm always having the digiscope handy. Yeah, uh, and, and videoing through my spotter, so um, that's good there. And then uh, probably the best feature that I like about this XF400 is the focus peaking. Um, as you know, uh, if you're you know you're hunting and filming, you're not going to get great footage if you're running on autofocus. Uh, just because of the nature of what you're filming in the brush and twigs and trees in between yourself and the subject that you're filming is going to catch uh, the focus of the camera. So you can't really roll that way. And so rolling with manual focus and it has focus peaking and, and which is um, just it highlights in your viewfinder what plane is in focus or what is actually in the, you know, the sharpest of focus. And so um, a, a camcorder that has that feature is hard to beat uh, for filming hunting as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think that's 
a pro tip. One other thing for those listening that I've done in the last couple videos is like, these are mainly scouting videos. So I'm solo and I don't really want to pack a tripod and try to sell film. I've done the GoPro and with like a selfie stick for lack of a better term. And then I've just worn a lav mic because you can't count on a GoPro to capture really crisp audio. Man, that's worked. Just sync it in the back end. That has worked so well. So you could literally get away with just buying a GoPro to capture some of your hunt. Obviously, it's going to be real. No matter what you do, it'll be somewhat fish-eyed and distorted. So your 20-yard broadside elk will look like it's 60 yards. But if you can have clean audio with some good some good footage, man, you, your videos will stand out. Um, thumbnails, clickbaity titles. What, what's the protocol for you guys to like make sure that, you know, you don't get scrolled past by, but you're not like just putting up a stupid title that has nothing to do with the video. Right. Right. Um, and this is something that I think about beforehand on what's going to be a good video for beyond the grid or good for YouTube. That isn't going to just get lost in the, you know, the millions of videos out there. And so content is number one. Like what content or what type of video can I produce a good thumbnail for? A good, you know, somewhat clickbaity, you know, it's a tension grabber, you have to type a thumbnail. Um, and the one that I just did was a bear hunt that didn't go great. I, th I think you watched it, you watched that one. Yeah. But I ended up ended up turning it into a a you know pistol versus bear spray video with uh, the hunting scenario all wrapped into it uh, because of the nature of the content, the searchability. Um, it, it's big right now, uh, bear attacks. Uh, and so that being said, I, I kind of morphed the actual hunt, the beyond the grid hunt or the bear hunt into an educational piece about bear spray and pistols because I knew we could make a really kick-ass thumbnail for it that's kind of clickbaity. And, 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 I mean, how did it work? You saw it. You've... It worked great. And it, if it's not educational, it's really, I mean, how much value does it really have just to watch, you know, eh, some entertainment value? Sure. But if you can actually gain a nugget or two of wisdom to add to your arsenal, great. I mean, that's a win-win. And, I mean, obviously, entertaining is important, if not the content quality. But... Yeah, man, I think uh, there's a difference between mediocrity and what you guys are putting out, which is super high end, in my opinion. I mean, not not so fancy that it's like oh, drone footage, cinematic, beautiful, inspirational music. Come on, man. Like, we're hunting. But it's it's done well to where, you know, you can tell that, you know, it's not shaky, good audio, tells a story. There's some information. The end. I love it. Um Elk hunting, it's almost time, and when this podcast drops, you and I will probably be past September, hopefully a couple bulls down each. What uh, what do you have in the hopper for elk this year? Yeah, unfortunately, I only have one tag myself, and usually, you know, I'll get a non-resident Idaho tag, but those sold out really fast this year, and so looks like I won't be doing that, uh, but I have a couple tags to go film. My brother has a, a brakes tag in Montana, and uh, so I'll be filming him some. And I, I drew a tag here in Wyoming. 
so yeah, I've got, I've got some good hunting on the docket. I've also have a deer tag I drew in Wyoming that I'll probably hunt uh, later, uh, bow hunt during the rifle portion of the season. Um, but uh, yeah, I have a pretty good tag in Wyoming and I've uh, been scouting for it. And that's what I'll be up scouting today. But just trying to find, you know, an, an elk act so different in each mountain range. And this is one of those mountain ranges that they don't travel that far from their summer range to where they rut and to where they winter. It's, it's not that big of a country. And so in situations like that, I can throw up trail cameras. And when it opens on September 1st, they're probably going to be pretty close by still. And so I've done that uh, hard this year. And, you know, the goal is to find an area that has a 350 bull. And if I can get one on a trail cam, then I, I know to, to focus in, in that area, that'll really narrow it down for me. And just one extra step to, you know, kill as big as bull as possible. Killing a bull of that caliber on public land is not, well, on any land, but especially public land, no offense, ranch, ranch elk hunters. Uh, but, uh, it's a different animal. It's a, they've done some things to stay alive a lot longer. They've kind of made it past the elk living learning curve of that, let's say five years. You know, there's not a lot of 350 bulls that are four and a half years old, especially in Wyoming. So they've seen some things. They do different things. How do you go about figuring out this bull? How do you go about cinching the noose? Cause you've done it before. Give us some of your best practices for for really killing the higher end upper echelon herd bulls. Yeah, no, for sure. And and I first I don't want to like for people to think that you know I just I just have to kill big bulls and I don't kill small bulls and you know whatever and and that's definitely not true. Uh, but I, I want to just make very clear that depending on the tag that you have, you have to be conscious of what that unit has to offer and then set a goal for, for yourself. I mean, that's what I do every year. And that's why I love it is the challenge for myself. And obviously I want to, you know, kill a, a bigger and a bigger bull every year. It doesn't always happen, but this is a situation where, you know, 350 bulls are in the area and, um, that that's what I'm going to hunt for in this limited entry area. And so, um, my expectations are high or my goals are high and, and they would be a lot less high if I was hunting a, a general area and, you know, just to kill a six point in a general area is fantastic. So anyway, moving on to your question. Um, the, the first thing that I try to do to kill a big giant bull is to get on them or hunt them before the rut. So I, I like to hunt them early before they get on the cows and from what i've seen just just talking to guys and hunting over the years in all the different states that those big mature bulls like the, the bulls that you're talking about that they've done something different they've they act a little bit different than the rest of the bulls and they hang back a little more but they they don't rut until or they don't breed should i say until it's go time and they know when it's time to breed and, and when estrus is kicking in the, the peak of estrus and they'll hold back and and they'll stay back and they'll let all the young bulls push cows around and and you know do all the chasing and then when it's time to breed they come in and and kick the youngsters off and they do the breeding they, they might miss some of those early cycle cows but 
it's like they have one big shot at it. They do a bunch of breeding and then uh, they pull off the cows and, and kind of move away. And that, that's kind of a, a general loose rule for what I've seen in all the different states. There's exceptions to that 100%. You, you'll see bulls, giant bulls with 100 cows on September 5th. I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But as a whole, uh, the bulls that live the longest uh, they stay away from the cows until it's go time. So uh, depending on the area, once again, you got to have an understanding of the elk in the mountain range or the area that you're hunting. And a good example of this is the breaks in Montana uh, compared to my elk hunt down here in Wyoming. Um, now in Wyoming, like I was saying, these bulls from their summer range to their breeding area to where the cows are and to where they winter is not very big it's you know you're not really going to lose track of them that easy as far as the different habitat types or or where they're going to go the direct opposite end of the spectrum is in the breaks there's really not one thing keeping a bull elk in one place in the breaks compared to the other when it comes to summer range uh, the rut and into winter i mean obviously water is uh, elk like to be around water but there's all that habitat and all that country is kind of the same. And so those elk move around and like the scenario that I've, I've been in now scouting uh, with my brother up there are there, there's no bulls in where we're going to be hunting right now. There's no bulls. I mean, I've spent some time in there. I've talked to a couple buddies that have had that permit before in that area. And they're like, yeah, there's no bulls there in August. But when September rolls around, there's bulls showing up out of, everywhere possible. I mean, it's just a jackpot of bulls in there. So that's a good example where setting trail cams in an area like that isn't going to really tell you anything uh, because the bulls just aren't there yet. In contrast to where my tag is in Wyoming, they're going to be pretty close uh, there September 1st to where they spend the summer uh, because either they rut close by or they don't have to travel that far. And, and so trail cams are effective and, and it's a smaller area. And so uh, it, the trail cams will help you and will actually provide some great intel uh, for your hunt coming up. And so um, answering your, your question directly after a long uh, run around there is, I like to hunt those big bulls early. The, the, the earlier, the better. I usually am hunting deer the first three or four days of the season, but I like to be elk hunting by September 5th and, and have that, you know, first little touch of elk action September 5th. Usually they, those big bulls are pretty callable, um, like this bull on the horse hunt that I just posted for Beyond the Grid. This was September 9th, and this is one of those super monster old mature bulls that is hanging in the periphery. He's mm -hmm. just waiting. He's in the zone, but he doesn't want confrontation, and he's just hanging in the periphery by himself. And that's why you'll see me cow calling. I never solely cow call, but that's why you'll see me cow calling once I, I get in close. And and it, it's a great example of it. Hunting them early, uh, before the peak of the rut, hunting the periphery, not necessarily going after the bulls that are with the, the jackpot of 150 cows, uh, just because your odds are so, so low on those bulls. But um yeah, it's, it's definitely a dance. It's definitely uh, a very delicate situation and everything is very calculated uh, to have your best chance at killing 
a super giant like that. And I, I mean, it's not like you're going to go kill one of those every year. They're just still super smart and unpredictable. Yeah. The predictability is, is really the trickiest part. Yep. Yep. For sure. But if, if you're not hunting those big bulls, you're, you're probably never going to get one. No doubt. Now, if he's hanging on the periphery first week in September, how much are you hanging on his periphery and how do you inch your way closer? I imagine you're relying on glass, but when do you, when does Dan Picard know that it's like the time is right? Obviously your gut's going to tell you, but like help us translate that into maybe some advice. Like when do you know it's time to strike? Like, can you pattern this bull? Can you get into in between him and his travel routes or are you going to seduce him with some soft cow calls once you get in tight like what's your protocol if there is such a thing (laughs) right right no there definitely is and you just kind of every elk hunt's a little different you just feel it out as you go but I was lucky enough in this situation where it's it's a lot of open country and there's not much feed in the bedding areas in the timber it's all just thick dark timber so those bulls have to come out to feed so that that makes it easy to quote unquote get inventory and it kind of sounds silly but on a draw tag usually you have multiple bulls to look over uh if you're in the right spot and uh, kind of get a feel for for what's in the area how big a bulls are around and what's in the area and if first thing in the morning or last light I use those times to kick back and just glass and just see what's in the area. And if I can see and, and find the timber patch that that bull goes into, the, the bull that I want, then that that is a, a huge, uh, I was, I was going to say a shortcut, but it's just a huge gainer on the, the next step and, and killing that bull. So I see this giant bull. He's in the wide open. I'm watching his body behavior. He's bugling. He's by himself. And his, his bugles, they're, they're bulls uh, calling cows bugle. It's a challenge bugle. It's a very urgent bugle, high pitched at the end. Um, not much for chuckling. But once again, he's still just kind of staying in the periphery. So that tells me that he's aggressive. He's looking for other elk. He wants to be around the cows, but he's by himself. So he's, he's staying away from the bulls. And so I kind of just saw the direction that he went up into this basin and it was mostly timber. And so I told my camera guy, Tim, let's saddle up and we're just going to ride up in there. We're going to loop around and we're going to have the, the prevailing wind at our, in our favor. And we're going to loop around in there and we're just riding our horses up the, the tree line and we're just staying tight to cover and a, a little bugle pops off inside the timber about a hundred yards, 150 yards up in front of us. And it was not an oppressive bugle. It was not a deep, nasty, growly bugle. It was a very uh, intense, uh, urgent, high-pitched, quick bugle. And to me, that that was the bull hearing us. He heard the, the hooves of the horses. And he's saying, come here, girls. He thinks there's cows out there. And so as quiet as we could, we tied up the horses on the edge of the tree line and we just slipped in the timber. I, I did not want to get too far, you know, go too far in there because I knew he was close. And I, I gave out some cow calls. I didn't have a diaphragm handy, so I used a hand-held uh, call. And I just gave the, just the softest calf calls that I could. And that bull came right in. He came in silent, but he came right in to 35 yards. And so that's, that's a good example of just 
hearing that bull, his intensity and what he's saying, and then translating that into how I'm going to make a move on him. Um, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of those situations, uh, you can only really learn by doing it and just paying attention and, and paying attention to the reactions. But there is a lot of great content out there to, you know, when a bull bugles, what is he actually saying? Like, you know, you, you want to talk to those elk with a purpose. And so that's huge. And, um, that was just me analyzing what that bull was saying and recognizing his type of bugle and that, eh, probably I can just give him a little cow call and he's going to come in. And sure enough, he came in silent, uh, drew back and he was frontal and he saw me move. He didn't smell me, but he saw me move and he spun on a dime and just left the same way that he came. And, you know, of course I cow called and he didn't give me a shot, but he looped around outside of the timber and he came out into the wide open because he believed he heard cows down there and he wanted those cows. And he was standing out in the wide open looking at my horses and I slipped up to the edge of the timber and shot him out in the wide open. Oh my gosh. You'll see that hunt and you're like, Oh my gosh, that never happens. And I kind of get a laugh because, you know, guys are like, Oh, that's, you know, that's what you do to kill a big bull. And I, I never hunt like that, but the it's because of the horses and those elk are relatively unpressured. And so that's how it, it happened. And it's, it's crazy. But when you're talking giant bulls, I don't care if, it's an accident or if it's completely planned and executed the way you thought, I'll take it either way. I've seen guys get pretty emotional during elk hunts where like they, this giant bull comes in and he spins, you don't get the shot. And then they're like head down and they're upset. It's emotions. It's a roller coaster. You got to stay on the roller coaster guys. Cause even if it drops to the bottom, it could be back to the top in like seconds like it happened for you. That's why we are addicted to the greatest roller coaster ride, which is elk hunting with a bow specifically. All right, man. Well, let's wrap this up with geeking out on gear a little bit. Somebody is like you who's done all sorts of backcountry elk hunting, um, really for all species. You've killed a lot of crazy animals throughout your career. Let's go over some of the gear and geek out. We can kind of rapid fire this, but break down your setup this year from top to bottom, archery wise. What you're going to be using for elk specifically? Um, so like my art, my bow setup. Yep. Yeah. So I have the the VXR, the Matthews VXR. Uh, I shot the triax really well, so I went with the 28 inch, the you know the shorter axle axle bow. Uh, a lot of guys might might not like the idea of that with the harsh string angle, but I shot it really well, and so I like those little bows, super packable. And uh, good to throw on the backpack and jump on the, the dirt bike, those short ATA bows. So um, the VXR, I'm a, a huge single pin slider guy. Uh, I have the Montana Black Gold Ascent, the newer one. I think the Ascent Ambush 2 or whatever it is uh, with a single pin. Um, and then I have the Matthews uh, QAD Integrate Rest uh, built specifically for that bow, which I, I just love those QADs. And their two-piece carbon quiver, I think it weighs nine ounces. I love two-piece quivers that don't weigh anything, and it's probably the best on the market, so that's why I love using that one. Um, but, yeah, once again, I'm, I'm a single-pin guy. Um, I like to have an arrow that's for elk um, in the 440 to 460. My, grain, or my arrow weight this year is 468. Um, I do like heavy arrows, but 
it's just more of a trajectory, more of an arc that you have to deal with. And when you're shooting a single pin slider, you have to be uh, very aware of that because that can be a, a deal breaker. There is a level of uh, Kentucky windage that you, you have to use sometimes uh, on some of the closer shots. And so I like to have a flatter trajectory mm -hmm. uh, on, on my arrow and my setup. Um, lastly, I'm shooting, I, I love the Gravedigger style broadheads. I have a lot of power in my setup, 29 inch 70. Uh, I have like uh, 91 foot pounds of kinetic energy. Um, so it, it's, it's a lot of power. And so I, I like Gravediggers and those are a hybrid head. Uh, you have a fixed portion, three quarter inch fixed portion blade, and then you have an inch and a half expandable portion. I'm shooting uh, the uh, Evolution Outdoors hide this year, which is the same guy that created the Gravedigger, uh, created the Evolution Outdoors hide. And it's a phenomenal killing head. I mean, I, I can think of, I think the tally was as of last year, I've shot nine bull elk with a grave digger style head and I've watched them all die. And I mean, that's pretty hard to, to be able to say when it comes to bow hunting elk, they usually, you know, travel a ways, but, uh, these broadheads just put a huge hole in them. Uh, they don't uh, give up too much penetration and steal too much of your energy when you're shooting them. Of course, you got to stay off the shoulder. Uh, but, uh, they've, they kill phenomenally. So this is like, a is it kind of a cut on contact type, you know, blades with mechanical bleeders, if you will, for lack of a better term? Yep. Yep. These evolution outdoors, it's a cut on contact three quarter inch blade. It's thick steel. It's made in America. They're machined. And then the blades are, yes, it's, it's a expandable uh, type blade tension on there and it expands out to an inch and a half. And it just, uh, that, that bowl that you referred to, yeah. Um, that I, I called yep. and, and drew before he stopped and was looking. That was with a grave digger. And that bull, I mean, he died right inside the timber there when he went into the timber. And he went like 70 yards and crashed and burned. And it was over and blood trail for days. I mean, a paint bu bucket blood trail. Love those. Uh, so if you are a single pin guy and you said that you like flatter trajectory, I'm assuming – but I don't want to assume you probably leave your pin set at 50 or where do you like to leave your, your pins set when you're elk hunting? Yep. I, I leave my pin at 30 Okay. and at, at 20 yards, close range, uh, you know, two inches lower, maybe inch and a half low, um, at 40 yards. If I hold on just below the spine on a bull at 40, I'm going to dead center them. And at 50, I like to range. I don't like to just Kentucky windage at 50 plus, obviously. Um, I like to range them and, and have a controlled situation. It's, it's pretty rare that I shoot at something beyond 50 in a, in a hurried situation where I don't have time to range. That makes sense. No, that's cool. Um, you, you've been a Matthews guy for quite a while. Are you going to shoot a prototype this year? Yeah, yeah. I have one in... Uh, well, it, I don't have one in, but I have one coming in uh, the end of this month. It's a 2021 bow. So I might get a couple antelope hunts with the VXR, and then, yeah, I'll, I'll have uh, the 2021 bow for my elk hunts. Outstanding. Cool. Well, Dan, I appreciate you coming on. I know you got some elk scouting to do. I wanted to keep this on the shorter side. Uh, guys listening, I know that a lot of you have already gone through September. I know that you're probably super stoked on your success or – hungrier than ever 
to taste success for 2021. This will be this is your home base for that. We're going to continue to bring on badass elk hunters like Dan. Dan, I want to give you an opportunity to get people directed to your social following as well as, you know, what we talked about a lot, your YouTube and where people can see this stuff that we've been talking about this whole episode. Yep. Yep. So the best updates for beyond the grid is, uh, at beyond the grid TV, uh, on Instagram. Uh, that'll be, that's our direct page because we post our beyond the grid episodes directly to our Eastman's hunting journals, YouTube channel. Um, so they kind of, they're just intermixed with everything on our Eastman's YouTube channel. Um, and so, yeah, it's Instagram's good. Uh, Facebook's good. Our, our Eastman's hunting journals, uh, Facebook page, uh, post a lot of the stories and a lot of the beyond the grid stuff. Uh, so make sure you're following both and, uh, yeah, we'll keep, uh, doing our best at producing great content for you guys. Yeah. And I wanted to mention, like you have this new platform for basically next year's hunting application season, which quite honestly, it seems like it lasts freaking forever. Seems like I'm doing applications from December to June historically i've tried out some other ones you know but you guys came out with something pretty like tag hub tell me about that yeah tag hub it's new for 2020 uh, we we launched it this summer just getting ready for 2021 and, and building that base but it, it's all the uh, western states uh on a server online and uh detailed breakdowns to all the statistics it's very user-friendly uh, with the different data fields that you can sort your searches through. So it's very search friendly on the type of hunt that you're looking for. Um, if you want to to find general areas in Montana, uh, you just use the drop down arrows and uh, fill those fields and the map pops up. It'll populate with uh, the areas that are general. And that goes on and on and on for all the Western states. Um, I think there's almost 450,000 data points for it so it's it's very uh data heavy uh, you know, with, with information and once again just trying to up our game every year and and producing more and better information uh, for the user out there and make it easier uh than ever to access our information oh that's great what does it cost to be a member and be able to access all those years of eastman's resources you know Old school people like me, we used to get the MRS in the back of the magazine, and that was very valuable. That was the member research portion that told you where to go. Now it's all online and digital, so you have all those archives, plus you're keeping the information up to date as it comes in as, you know, basically point creep is a thing now, and, and there's a lot of hunters vying for these tags and, and sorting all that out. What, what's the price point? What are they looking at investing yeah, yeah. So we have uh, a free trial uh, going on right now, and it's ten bucks a month, a uh, hundred bucks for the year if you want to do the the whole year. Um, but uh, very simple that way, um, very straightforward. We still do the MRS in the magazine, and we still have a magazine, of course, um, for some of our older subscribers or the guys that like the print. There's still a lot of them out there, um, and so you can get all that in the magazine. But uh, yeah, we have a lot of incentives going on right now because of, we launched it in the, na the last few months. Um, we're doing a, a huge giveaway, uh, $16,000 worth of gear and apparel, uh, hunting gear that, I mean, all the way from Sorenex weights 
to bows, uh, to guns. Um, so doing a huge giveaway with that, some incentives going on. And so, yeah, get it, get it on online and sign up. Um, and, uh, you'll be in for all those giveaways and yeah, 10 bucks a month. So I love it. Well, keep up the good work, Dan. Uh, everybody give them, I'll give them a follow on Instagram so you can keep up to date with all their awesome content. I will send a link or I'll put a link in the show notes of the video you just dropped and people can go back and watch that. I know I'll be watching that today. Again, don't watch it on your phone, man. Watch it on the TV if you got one of them smart TVs and enjoy the show. Dan, good luck this season this season, and uh, appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, my pleasure. It was a pleasure talking to you, Dan. Good luck out there as well. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Remember, separation is in the preparation. Well, guys, there you have it. Dan Picard. He, uh, I feel sorry for any elk that he's going after. The guy is an animal. So check out his stuff. I'll leave a link to the YouTube channel that we talked about as well as their social. Uh, and I'll even leave a link to his personal page because the guy is really phenomenal underrated bow hunter i think people need to know about him if they don't already i know i've been following him for years i think he's really good people and i think that uh he does a great job not only filming but uh we didn't even talk about it but he was an elk guide he still i think he still guides a little on the side the guy knows his stuff when it comes to elk honey so thank you dan for coming on uh i really appreciate what you're all about and uh, i hope to have you back on i'm probably going to bring him on to the overdrive podcast which can be found at the elkcollective.com. That's an exclusive virtual online course for elk hunting that I teamed up with Jason Phelps, Dirk Durham, John Gabriel, and a host of bad A elk hunters. And we get elk hunters from all the states out west so you can kind of hear how that differs between state to state. And it's just a one-stop shop for all things elk hunting. Check out the elkcollective.com, uh, especially if you had tag soup this year. That's where you're going to want to go to elevate your game. In 2021, you have a lot of options when you listen to podcasts. Thank you for choosing this one. Remember, separation is in the preparation, and we will catch you on the next one.